We're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Meet me there, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And we're going to look at Ecclesiastes, the entire chapter 1, but I'm only, only going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Thumb there or turn there if you have a Bible. Um, meet me in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom, to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who, hear this, increases knowledge, increases sorrow. This is the word of our Lord. Amen? Amen. We walked up to the door, and before we stepped into the door, we began to lace up our gloves. We put on our rubber gloves and cotton gloves and it is me and multiple relatives, we are preparing ourselves to walk through the door. So when we get to the door, it's kind of this, the hinges are cracking and screeching a bit. And multiple of us, several of us, we walk through the door and we begin to just kind of peer around. You don't know this, but we have been tasked with the responsibility to go into uh, the home of a late family member and we've been tasked to clean up and pack up the entire home. So we go into the house and we, be just, we just begin going room by room. We go into the dining area where there's antique furniture and we go into the living room where there's really nice couches and we go into the entertainment space on the second level of the home and there's these antique records of jazz musicians and, you know, I, I just start grabbing a few because I'm like, if I get anything, I want to get one of these. And then we go into the kitchen and, and I want you to know that the refrigerator was still filled with food. The, the freezer was still packed with meat. The deep freezer was packed to the brim with things. And it was so interesting to me that even as we began to go all throughout this house, even down to the basement, I got this weird feeling that we were literally going through somebody else's prized possessions. That, that we were literally looking in nooks and crannies that we shouldn't be looking in. And in the bottom of my heart, I began to think, man, one day someone will go through my things like this. 
one day some, somebody will go through my drawers and somebody's going to begin to pack up my things. And I just had this thought that these, at one time, prized possessions, we were literally packing up into garbage bags. We, we literally took multiple truckloads of bags to the dumpster. Somebody's former prized possessions and it wrecked my heart a bit because I realized that one day somebody will do this for me. And the things that I don't even want them to see, they one day will see. And they'll one day put my prized possessions in garbage bags. And it was this confrontation in that moment as I am packing away the things of a family member that experience confronted me. And I want to tell you this morning that that's exactly what Ecclesiastes does. It confronts us. When we come to God's word in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, essentially Ecclesiastes leaves no stone unturned. Ecclesiastes essentially comes in your and my house begins to go in our living room and in our kitchen, opens the door to our refrigerator, goes in our nightstands, and it just wrecks all of our things. And it begins to unearth the things that we may have hidden. It begins to unearth the things that we see as our prized possessions. Confronts us, challenges us, let, let me ask you this. Are you ready to be confronted? Are, are you ready to be challenged with truth? See, Ecclesiastes, even in our social media uh, filtered generation, Ecclesiastes removes the filter. You know, so, some of us put no hash, we put hashtag no filter on a post and we be lying. We covered up every blemish with a filter. Ecclesiastes removes the filters. It gets in our world and it begins to unearth the things that we see as valuable. I've tagged our time together, wisdom for all. But before we go to work, would you just pray with me? Father, we need you. Lord, thank you that you are an ever-present help in a time of trouble. Thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you, Father, that we can trust in you, that we can lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge you and you will direct our path. So direct our path this morning. I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would give our minds understanding, open our eyes and our ears that we would hear from you and see all that you would want to do this morning. God, I pray that you would indeed move me aside, that you would do work in us that only you can do. And it's in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So Ecclesiastes is this wisdom literature and it's a part of the Old Testament. It is in the heart of the Old Testament along with Psalms, along with Proverbs, along with Song of Sol Solomon. And, and, and one pastor says this of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book about people 
who thought they got what they wanted and are still wanting. Ever felt like that before? Ever felt like, man, if I can just get this relationship, if I can just get this promotion, and when you got it, if I can just get this car, and when you finally got it, you found yourself dissatisfied. Ecclesiastes is for you. Uh, Let me put it this way. Ecclesiastes is for folk who are living their best life now. I'm just living my best life. Ecclesiastes is for you. Because if you think you are living your best life in this earth, in the here and now, you're mistaken. Ecclesiastes encourages those who want to live their best life. Uh, some people say Solomon is the author of Ecclesiastes, and, uh, but many scholars believe that Solomon is not the author of Ecclesiastes, and essentially we just don't know. But what we do know is that Ecclesiastes shows how hollow life can be, shows us that things can look full and things can look lasting, and they turn out to be the exact opposite. And so over 2,000 years ago, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes writes this realistic uh, account of, get this, the effects of sin on the world. And here's the deal. If you and I read Ecclesiastes separate from the whole of Scripture, what we will find is that it is kind of a dark, depressing uh, book. But if you read it in context, if you read it Uh, in light of the whole of Scripture, and that's what a good biblical interpreter does. They read uh, a text or a book in, in light of the whole of Scripture. What you and I will find is that there's hope here. What you and I will find is that there is abiding hope. There's hope that you and I do not have to be satisfied with the things of this world. There's hope that you and I don't have to be satisfied with the day-to-day grind. There's hope that that's not enough for us, but that there's more. There's something more beautiful, and there's something that we can long for. We can realize through Ecclesiastes, there's more for us, and there's hope here. I love it. Ecclesiastes reminds us that there are good things created by humankind and even good things created by God. But we're reminded not to stop there. See, everything that God has made is to testify of His goodness and His glory. We are not to stop at the creation. It's it's like Garrett's popcorn, right? You know, uh, man, even if I'm not in Chicago, and, and, and I'm in an airport somewhere, and they've got some Garrett's popcorn, I just got to stop and get it, especially the cheese. Oh, my. But when I enjoy that cheese, Garrett's popcorn, I just can't stop at the creation. Uh, when, when I go to Batter and Berries on the south side of Chicago, any Batter and Berries fans? Uh, if you hadn't been to Batter and Berries, if the death angel is coming... You tell him to hold off until you get yourself to batter and berries on the south side of Chicago. Those blueberry pancakes, Lord, have mercy. But when I enjoy those blueberry pancakes, I know that there is a designer behind them. 
that they didn't just create themselves, that there's something behind those pancakes. Y'all, when I go to, I'm making everybody hungry. When I go to Al for a hamburger, woo! You may have to wait two hours, but when you get that burger, when you get that Al Cheese cheeseburger and you bite down into some of that thick, sweet bacon, woo! Lord have mercy. You know that there is a designer behind it. Yes. You know that there is somebody behind it. Maybe it's a, one of those old mothers in the kitchen, you know. There's somebody behind it. And the reality is, Ecclesiastes says to us, if you find your hope in the creation, it will always leave you empty. But you've got to look past those created things because behind those created things, there is a designer. There's a creator behind those created things. And Ecclesiastes nudges us in the direction of the creator that we may not rest at the created things and be satisfied with those created things. He's saying there is a unique design, but there is a designer behind them. I love this. Uh, look at verse 8. It says, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Uh, this idea of weariness is exhaustion. It is to, to strive and to struggle. And, and this is what Ecclesiastes is about. It's about this tension. Whether you are aware of it or not, you, you, you are in this back and forth pull, this inner game of tug, tug of war in which every one of us is looking to be satisfied. Every one of us is looking for fulfillment and we're tempted to find satisfaction in the things of this world. We're tempted to find satisfaction in temporary things. And, and Ecclesiastes says, no, no, no. You're in this back and forth in which you find satisfaction and it's temporary. And all of a sudden you find yourself dissatisfied again. All of a sudden you got the relationship and the job happened. You finally moved and you got to Chicago and you just wanted to get out of that small town. And you finally landed in a place and all of a sudden you feel dissatisfied again. You feel uneasy again. And Ecclesiastes reminds us it's because you cannot find your hope, your fulfillment in temporary things. Look, listen, so many of us just want to be happy, right? Ever felt that way? Ever felt like I just want to be happy? You are, you are simply after happiness. And maybe it landed you in a place of despair. Maybe it landed you in a place of longing. Maybe it landed you in a place of depression, even struggle. And the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying to us this morning that there is more. That there is more to look forward to. There is more to life than, get this, what's under the sun. He begins in verse 2. Uh, he's called the preacher or the herald that brings God's truth to his people. Here's how it begins. It says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. D don't, you just, don't you just feel the hope there in that statement? 
Don't you just feel meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. See, one of the things is you've got to catch the repetition. And the writer of Ecclesiastes, he isn't saying that all of life is meaningless. Uh, You've got to understand that he's lived a ton of life. And he is now telling the world about all of this life that he's lived. He's had pleasure and he's had things. He's had sex. He's tried it all. He's had all the money in the world. He's built these big palaces and he's lived to tell us the story. He's saying, take my word for it. He's saying there's nothing out there in the city of Chicago under the sun that you can pursue that will leave you fulfilled. There's nothing. There's no job. There's no, there's no bay that's going to leave you fulfilled. He's reminding us that there's more. He's actually, he's, what he's doing is repeating this frame. He's, he's not saying that all of life is meaningless. He's repeating what Genesis chapter 3 verse 19 says. He's repeating this idea that for you are dust and to dust you shall return. He's repeating what Job chapter 1 verse 21 says. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's repeating James chapter 4 verse 14. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. He's challenging our view of how we see things under the sun. He wants to give us a new perspective on the meaning of life. He he wants to help us to see that there will be no U-Haul behind the hearse. He he wants us to know that. It's so funny, y'all. On social media, just uh, a little bit ago, I I saw this little picture, and it was actually a U-Haul behind the hearse. And I'm like, every preacher's illustration is ruined from here on out. But there will be, we cannot take those possessions with us. Those things that make us happy in a temporary way, we cannot take them with us. And he's reminding of that, reminding us of that. That we are but a mist that appears for a little time and then we vanish. And this is why Renewal Church is so important. Because when you gather, even on the fourth anniversary, when you gather with other believers, you you are reminded of the truth of God's Word. You are reminded of right perspective. You are reminded to uh, align your life with the things of God rather than aligning your life and allowing the culture to dictate your life. You're you're reminded that that God isn't encouraging you to keep up with the Joneses, but you're reminded from the truth of God's Word that, that He's the one who's important, that He's the one that your life should be tethered to, that He's the one that you should cling to, that He's the one who gives instructions for your marriage and even your singleness 
and the way you should handle your money and how you should sacrificially give and how you should use your talent to design and to structure business deals and to make the best cup of coffee you can, how you should use those gifts for the glory of the kingdom. That's why this is important. That's why this gathering is important. And Ecclesiastes reminds us to keep things in perspective. The writer, he, he reminds us that generations will come and go. The sun rises and the sun sets. The wind blows north and south. He says the streams even flow in their place. Natural things will continue to come and go. And the question still remains, where is your hope? See, I love this because Ecclesiastes is for successful people and for those hungry for success. Ecclesiastes is for those with influence and those hungry for influence. Ecclesiastes is for the, the educated and those seeking education. It puts life in proper perspective. What does life mean? Ecclesiastes has answers for us. And the writer of Ecclesiastes helps us. He attempts to help us in the struggle. And he tells us in verse 9, there's nothing new under the sun. He says there's no new struggle. There's no new temptation from the enemy. There's no new trick. There's no new lie. There's, there's nothing new under the sun. Do you think that the misuse of power is something new? Do you think that lustful desires, do you think they are something new? Do you think that greed is something new? Absolutely not. Maybe it is packaged differently in our time and in our culture, but it is nothing new. It's funny how things just come and things go. It's funny how fashion comes and fashion goes. Isn't it funny that bell bottoms are kind of coming back now? Isn't it funny that high-waisted jeans, the mom jeans are coming back? I ain't even going to hate on mom jeans. I kind of I like them. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny that these things, isn't it funny that um, different furniture, styles of furniture are actually coming back? And they say, you know, um, man, we've got this new idea uh, for furniture. We, we'll call it uh, mid-century modern. That's what we'll call it. It's the same thing we've seen before. Isn't it funny that high top fades, you know, started coming back a little bit? It's crazy. There's nothing new under the sun. And that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes reminds us of, that there is nothing new. Let me ask you this. Are you in the rat race of life? pursuing things in this world that will never satisfy you? Are you chasing after the next greatest experience? Are you chasing after the next best vacation? The writer of Ecclesiastes would remind you that there is nothing new under the sun. And he's urging us this morning to take his word for it. Lastly, the writer of Ecclesiastes, he is on the hunt for wisdom. 
Listen to what he writes in verse 13. I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. Thank you, sir. It says, I applied my heart to seek and search all that is done under, under heaven. It is unhappy business that God has done to the children of man to be busy. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Then in verse 16, he says this, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And here's how he ends it. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Are you encouraged yet? Do you feel encouraged in your heart from this? He said, I surrendered myself to the investigation of knowledge and wisdom. They, they told me that experience is the best teacher. So I experienced life. And you know what I found out? It left me unhappy. Here's what he's saying. It, it left me in a place of distress and I felt troubled. And the writer is saying, I've, I've read everything I could read. I've, I've listened to every podcast that's come out. I've picked up every book. I've, I've looked at and watched every YouTube tutorial. And it still left me unhappy. I've pursued wisdom and I've pursued knowledge. And I know it's true of some of you in a group this size. I've read about the Mormons and I've read about the Baha'i faith and I've read about Christianity. I've pursued spiritualness. And he's saying it still left me dissatisfied. It still left me empty. It still left me unhappy. Woe is me. And he's finding himself in this tug of war and he's hoping that God will provide some answers and all the while God is, it's me. You will not find truth and true joy in a podcast. You won't find it in a YouTube tutorial. It can only be found in me. And he nudges us in the direction of a divine God. He encourages us that wisdom and knowledge and intellectualism will never give you true joy. I remember um, when I was in college my freshman year and, and you know how it is. I was a little nervous and I remember having this uh, psychology 101 class and, and also a philosophy 101 class. And, and, and as I'm going in both of these classes, there was a guy that was in both of those classes and particularly in my philosophy 101 class, I, I, I go to class, I sit down, I'm kind of experiencing the shock of the, the, the syllabi and, and the, the professor just jumps in. And he was one of those. He just got in with lecturing the first day. He didn't waste any time. And as he's asking questions and trying to get the class to engage, we're all looking at him like, we don't know this stuff, bro. Like, that's your job to teach us this stuff. And, but there was one guy in the class, and I was so mesmerized by how much he knew. Because the professor would ask a question, and he'd answer it. 
He knew every philosopher. He knew every idea. And he was able to shift the conversation and even pose questions to the prof. And after class, I was so mesmerized by this kid that I just wanted to get to know him. This guy, he seemed like he could take the final on day one. And I, I just wanted to know this guy because I wanted to know what he knew. My St. Louis public school education just didn't get me that far. And so I, I, I went up to him and I just said, man, you, you already know a lot of this stuff. And, and I was excited about getting to know him. And y'all, it was kind of crazy, but the dude was incredibly socially awkward. And he just could not hold a conversation or either he wasn't interested in a conversation. I want to tell you that the things that he knew was not enough. The things that his book knowledge, it was not good enough for him. He was too smart for his own good. And some of us are looking for wisdom. We are looking to gain acceptance in knowledge. And we've read everything we can. We've watched everything we can. We are investigating for knowledge and wisdom. All the while, God is saying to us, it will not satisfy you. It will not be enough. You can read all the books you want, and those are good things to do. But it will not satisfy you. And the writer of Ecclesiastes reminds us of that this morning. Here's the last thing. I want us to read this together. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10. Let's read this together. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10. Let's read this out aloud together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Let's say that again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. I want you to get that in your heart and in your mind this morning. For it is the fear of the Lord that will satisfy you. It is the reverence of God that will satisfy the longing of your heart that you cannot find in a bedroom and you will not be able to find it at the bottom of a bottle. You can only find it in reverencing God. You can only find it when your life is tethered to the one who has created you in the kitchen and who has called you beautifully and wonderfully made. You'll only find it in him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, real knowledge, real understanding, lasting knowledge can only be found in the Holy One the creator of heaven and earth, the one who sent his son and wrapped his son in flesh, the one who sent his son to live a perfect life, the one who sent his son to die in your and my place, the one who sent his son to be buried in a borrowed tomb, the one who sent his son to be raised again on the third day. And now you and I are no longer fighting from, for victory. We're no longer fighting for victory, but we are fighting from the victory of an empty tomb. We're fighting from the victory of a blood-stained cross. We're fighting from the victory of cross. And what, what I love about the story of Jesus 
It is that while we were yet pursuing the things under the sun, Christ died. While we were yet trying to find our hope in books and podcasts and YouTube tutorials. While you and I were trying to find our hope in marriage and even in having children. While you and I were looking in every single direction other than the right direction, Christ died. He didn't wait for us to get ourselves fixed up. He didn't wait for us to live a perfect life. In fact, he lived a perfect life on your behalf and did what you could never begin to do on your own. Christ died. Christ died. Christ died for you. And that's the hope that we have. That's exactly why it's important to gather with believers. That's exactly why it's important to give sacrificially to the work of the ministry. That's exactly why Renewal's fourth anniversary is worth celebrating. For Christ died and Christ rose again with all power in his hand. I love what Pastor Tim Keller says. He says that we have disordered loves. Our love is disordered. Our love is disordered. We put our love and our affection in every way but the right way. Our love is disordered. I remember when I was younger, y'all, um, I grew up in the hood of St. Louis, even though Gary, Indiana is much more hood than St. Louis. Um, <laughs> I grew up in the hood of St. Louis, Pastor Luke, and and uh, I just remember we played every sport. This was before uh, the days of, you know, uh, uh, what, what is it? What's the games? I don't even know the games. Um, Madden uh, 19. This was before those. Uh, we, all we had was Sega Genesis, you know. And that was terrible. And I remember we used to go out and play basketball. And uh, we'd be on the court. And my brother is older than me, so I'd always play with the bigger guys. And if I were honest, I'd tell you that my mouth was much better than my game was. That's really the truth. Uh, I talked a good game. And my mouth many times got me in trouble. Because I'd be talking like nobody's business, even if I'm wrong, even if I'm missing the shot, even if I'm airballing and bricking, I'm still in your face talking all kinds of noise. That's how you survived in the hood. You had to talk a good game. And that's exactly what I did. And many times, because my mouth would get me in trouble, there would be a guy who's much bigger than me on the playground, and he'd get in my face because he was sick and tired of me playing and talking noise. He'd get in my face, and he's ready to throw down right there in front of everybody. And, you know, I wasn't trying to go that way. I was just running my mouth. And ever so often, this dude is a bigger guy. He's in my face. He's ready to go toe-to-toe and blow-for-blow. And I had a big brother, y'all. And he would step in the middle of us. And he'd say, I don't care what happened. It's not going down like that. And my brother's hands were big. And he, he was known for throwing down on the playground. And in the back of my mind, I knew... I've got this secret weapon that you may not know about. And my brother would slide in between us, and his back is to me. And now I'm a little stronger now. 
you know, and he's going toe-to-toe with this other guy. He let him know it's not going down like that. He'd slide in between us, and he was literally prepared to take the blows for me. He was literally prepared to take the beating on my behalf for the things that I did, y'all. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. Jesus slid in between our brokenness, our guilt, and our shame. And he, not only was he prepared to do it, but he actually did. He became our sin, and the great exchange happened. He offered us his righteousness. He offered us everything beautiful that he was. And now God no longer sees us if our faith is in Jesus as ourselves. He sees us through Christ Jesus. He sees us through the blood of Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ. And here's what he does. He lays out a table before us. And he says, come, come to my table, dine with me, sup with me, enjoy a meal for me. And he welcomes you this morning. He welcomes you to his table to enjoy with him, enjoy life and to journey with him, even if you are imperfect. And you know what he says to us? He says, there is still a chance That if you have been pursuing everything in this world, if you have been pursuing things that are only temporary, there's still a chance for you to come and dine at the table of our God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your kindness and for your grace. We thank you, Jesus, that you've done for us what we can never begin to do for ourselves. We thank you, Father, that you did not leave us to fend for ourselves, but you sent your only Son. When we were looking in the other direction, you sent Jesus. While we were dead in our trespasses, Christ came and he lived a perfect life and he died the death that we should have died. And he rose again. And Lord, we say thank you today. We say thank you for your unfailing love. We say thank you for your loving kindness. And when everything else will fail us, you never will. And so, Lord, we put our hope and our trust and our confidence in you this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.